Hi there, this is Terry, and welcome to another episode of the Animation Industry Podcast. Part of why I love running this podcast is because I get to chat with all of my animation heroes, the people I grew up idolizing and following, and today is one of those chats. This episode features who I consider one of the legendary stop-motion animators of our time. He started his career animating Gumby and then went on to animate Jack Skellington from The Nightmare Before Christmas and has animated on nearly every major stop-motion feature film since, including James and the Giant Peach, Corpse Bride, Coraline, The Little Prince, and the upcoming Wendell and Wild, among others. And what's crazy is that he started his career as a part-time janitor working at Industrial Light and & Magic. And in our chat, he shares exactly how he went from sweeping the floors to animating on these monster films. The person I'm talking about is none other than Anthony Scott, who also happens to run stopmotionanimation.com, which is the biggest forum for stop motion animators on the internet. And where I first started connecting with other animators like 15 years ago when I was just doing short little claymations in my bedroom. But before I jump into this chat, I have a sponsored message to share with you, which comes from my friends over at Bloop Animation, which is an animation learning platform packed with premium online video courses for aspiring animation filmmakers. They have courses for all major animation programs like Maya, Animate CC, Toon Boom, Blender, TV Paint, and many others, as well as some non-software courses like a storyboarding course, animation foundations course, and even one about making graphic novels, which covers absolutely everything you need to know from start to finish. All of their courses are in video form, so there are no deadlines or application process. You simply just pick a course and start learning in seconds. They even offer a free ebook titled Making an Animated Short, which covers their entire process step-by-step of how they made one of their films from coming up with the idea to storyboarding, animation, and all the way to exporting the film. And you can get that book for free at bloopanimation.com slash animationindustry, or you can check out their complete course library at bloopanimation.com slash courses. And I've included both of those links in the description of this chat. So please check that out. Now let's jump right in. Hi, Anthony. Thank you so much for coming on chat. How's it going? It's good. It's good. Thanks for inviting me, Terry. Yeah, this is this is awesome because I've I've known of you and spoken to you for like probably over a decade through stopmotionanimation.com when I was starting out when I was a little kid. So it's pretty awesome to finally meet you and talk to you and pick your brain about all the cool films you worked on, like Nightmare Before Christmas and stuff. So let's get in. Um, where how did you pursue this in the first place? Like think back to like young Anthony Scott. What was the thing that pushed you into the wonderful world of stop motion. Yeah, you know, I was just talking to my mom. It was, it was Mother's Day just a couple of days ago, and uh, she was telling me some stories. So this is good, good timing. Um, she said uh, to keep. I was the oldest, and uh, when I was a baby, she would just. She had uh, my brother, so she was kind of busy with him. So she'd give me crayons, and I'd be sitting in my high chair drawing, on the high chair or on paper. I never even knew that. She just told me this the other day. And then she told me when I was three, I uh, drew a train track all the way up the stairs on the wall. <laughs> so I must have had an interest in drawing early on. I don't even remember doing any of those things. But I do remember developing uh, my own cartoon characters by the time I was seven. I was drawing little comic strips. And they were very simple. I loved uh, Charlie Brown, Snoopy, those characters. So I created my own characters. Uh, just to kind of replicate. Can you remember any of them? Yeah, there was like a little bird named Chitterbug and a little snake and a little spider and then some bad guys later that I added. Um, 
But yeah, first I started creating little comic strips, like maybe three or four panels. And then I started creating little books. I remember one time I was stapling the books together and I stapled my finger and that was fun. Um, but you know, you can only go so far with the stories and the drawings and I wanted to learn how to make them come to life. So I, um, I went to the library. There's no internet. There is no, uh, I, there was no animation classes. I barely knew what animation was, you know, but I wanted to figure out how to make a cartoon. How do you make them come to life? So I went to the library and uh, this is in Flint, Michigan, 1973. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I, was, I was 11 years old and I was doing research. And uh, I used to take these classes, these art classes during the summer, right next door to the library. So after the library, while, or after school, I would go to the library while I was waiting for my mom or dad to pick me up. And um, I found a couple books. I actually have these books. I want to show you. Uh, this was a huge influence on oh, me. Oh, wow. Look at this little show and tell here. <laughs> yeah. So it's Make called, your own animated movies. Yes. Yellow Ball Workshop Film Techniques by, I don't Yvonne know how to say Yvonne Anderson. And uh, it's all kids making their own movies. Oh, nice. oh wow. Look at that. That's kind of scary. Is that a giraffe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like cutouts. It was super inspiring. I mean... I had no, I mean, I'm, I'm in Flint, Michigan. Nobody knows what I'm talking about, but I had this interest. Oh, yeah, oh wow. And, that, yeah, exactly. Like top yeah, so It's a great book. And it's so funny. I remember these drawings and these illustrations, photos, kids, how to make a, oh, yeah. you know, make a little paper guy. Um, and then paper oh. mache, uh, how to do a down shooter. This is kind of cool. I think. I yeah. Wow. It's a little kid with a with a camera pointing down at his tabletop with some cutout stuff on it. Yeah, and then there's a big anyway. There's like and everything's on film. Teaches you how to use a projector. <laughs> uh, that paid off, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, yeah. Eventually, I got my own Super 8 projector because I had. But at first, I didn't even have a projector. I had like a little reel-to-reel -reel viewer for editing. Uh, so you so you got your hands on like some film as a young kid when you were 11, 12 years old and started making stuff. Yeah. So that was one book. And then um, on TV, there was like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, all these kids shows, Christmas specials and things. But there was also Ray Harryhausen movies. And I found this book. Now, yes. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen this one, but they kind of updated over the years. But film this fantasy scrapbook by, is it by Ray Harryhausen or just it on? It is, yeah. Oh, it's by him too. Oh, wow. Yeah. I see the Cyclops wow. right on the front there. It's by Ray, and you know I didn't take these from the library. I found these on eBay later. <laughs> but I got a signed copy. So, oh, you got a signed copy? Yeah. Wait, did you get it signed by him yourself, or you That's got the one off eBay? No, I have another book that he signed, but this one um, I bought signed, yeah. But this has King Kong. So this is the other end of it. So um, stop motion is used in... You know, kids shows uh, when I was a kid. That's when I saw I was exposed to Rudolph. But then also in like uh, the Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, King Kong, Mighty Joe Young. So it was used as effects as well. Creatures, um, you know, and Ray Harryhausen's films were more effects oriented, you know, sort of uh, like Phil Tippett does that kind of thing. Yeah. I yeah. So I had I was exposed to both. And 
that's pretty much it. There weren't, there wasn't much information other than magazines like Starlog, um, Cinemagic. Cinemagic yeah. was good because it kind of showed you how to do it, like how to do, you know, you know, use paper mache, you make your own sets, how to shoot, uh, how to backwind your film to do double exposures. So I experimented with all that on Super 8 and also 8 millimeter film. So, so what were you creating when you when you say experimenting? What were you what were you creating as a kid? Was it stop motion? Was it live action? Was it? I did a lot of that. Yeah, but the first one of the first things I wanted to do was bring those characters to life. So I basically created cutouts just like in the book, and I animated set up a down shooter, cameras pointing down, and um, animated these little paper characters. Very simple, just (laughs) moving across the screen. Um, but you have to start somewhere and, uh, got into animating toys, uh, clay, uh, did some live action stuff. Um, and this is over a period of time, like from the time I was 11 till I was about 16, I used this tiny little super eight camera for the most part. Uh, it didn't have single frame. It didn't have, uh, you couldn't focus the lens. It's like a set fixed focus. Uh, didn't have uh, reflex viewing, so you had to kind of guess where the lens was to kind of, you know, to, to compose your shot. Uh, you know, when I was older, I bought a nicer camera that had all the features you really need when you're animating. Um, so that was great. But so by the time I was 16, 17, I knew I wanted to work in animation or a film or something. You know, Star Wars came out when I was 14. I was kind of the first Star Wars. Um, episode four now it's called, but that one came out and that was a huge, that changed everybody. You know, they were all excited about special effects and spaceships and creatures and uh, King Kong, the remake of King Kong came out, uh, I think a year before that. So I was really into King Kong as well. Uh, And I followed Rick Baker's career at that point and started following his career. So I was interested in special effects makeup as well, sculpting, creatures, King Kong. All that stuff. I tried to make my own King Kong movie. Oh no way! <laughs> yeah, so, with like been like live action mix. Yeah, yeah. I nice. got some kids from the neighborhood. We started shooting some stuff, and I um, took a GI Joe puppet. Like they used to make GI Joes about twelve inches tall, and I kind of cut his legs off, just below the knees, and made his legs a little shorter, like an eighth. <laughs> and uh, covered them in cloth and fur and clay. And I mean, I didn't have foam latex, so I didn't know how to do any of that stuff at the time. But, you know, try to ter- make my own Kong. Yeah. So how did you take it from from your 16 years old making this King Kong movie to like working professionally? OK, well, um, let's see. Uh, so I'm in Flint, Michigan. There's no yeah. film classes. I'm, I took a year and went to a community college in Lansing, Michigan, took all their film classes. One of them was an animation class. That was it, like one quarter, you know, one semester or whatever. And so I, I made a King, that's when I made the King Kong film. Oh, nice. A little short. And, um, and I did another film where there's a clay character I was trying to animate, it comes to life, jumps off the table, and I chase it around the apartment. Um, but but I but the plan was ever since I was like 11 or no, I was 14, something like that, somewhere in there. I decided I was going to move to California. That I'd have to leave Michigan. I'd have to move to California and pursue 
my career in film business, you know, I had to go to, I didn't know where, probably Los Angeles, right? Um, so I did a year in school and had a couple of films on, you know, as well as the films I did when I was a kid and um, moved to California. I had a relative, my aunt lived in uh, Northern California. So I settled there for a while in the San Francisco Bay area. And I lived there for 20 years. Um, yeah, so I was 21, didn't know, really didn't know anybody. And yeah. started working, um, I was in Marin County. I knew Industrial Light and Magic was there. You know, I got to know a few friends who had friends that worked there. And so I was always trying to get into ILM, always trying to figure out a way, like, how do I break into this business? It's very frustrating when you don't know anybody and you, and it, it's not like there's an ad in the newspaper for a stop motion animator. Right. Um, and you're trying to pay rent and you're trying to get into the film business. So how do you, where do you have time to, you know, make your films and whatever you're into. So at one point I decided to um, uh, quit my jobs and just work uh, just, just part time. And I was living in an old school that was an art studio. And you're not, you weren't supposed to live there, but I was, I was there for about a year. And I just wanted to focus on my art, just focus on film. And at the time I was taking the Dick Smith makeup course because I was still thinking special effects makeup, uh, making creatures. I was making werewolf masks and zombies and stuff like that. This is 1985, 86 probably. And special effects makeup was pretty big in the 80s. So I was trying to break, I was thinking that would be the best way into the film business because it seemed like there was more work. Um, and I was working for a temp agency and they uh, offered me a job at ILM <laughs> as a janitor. <laughs> uh, what? I know, I know. That was, that was of course I said yes. Yeah, um, and it was a part-time jan. It was a it was a weekend janitor, so I would only go in Saturday and Sunday, Friday and Saturday night, or something like that. So I would go in, and <laughs> I had like keys to a <laughs> whole place. I'd go so in. It, can you share the rest of what you're where you're going, or are there some stories that you're not allowed to share because you're sneaking into places you weren't supposed to? <laughs> I was not sneaking. I had I had to actually clean the place, so I had keys. Uh, I had access to. This is back. Okay, this is 1986. I'm like 23 years old, and um, what were they doing at the time? Star Wars? No, no, no. Star Trek episode. Not episode. Gotta get this two mixed up. Uh, the fourth one, Star, Star Trek Four with the whales, they were shooting that. And so the creature shop was busy doing that. There was a stop motion bay. So I saw like the Dragon Slayer puppet sitting there. <laughs> I was like, I can't believe, I mean, to me, this was an, a huge break, even though it wasn't what I wanted to do exactly. Um, it was the inn I was looking for all this time, you know? Um, I actually met Tom Santamond at the time, who's a famous, you know, armature maker, who I ended up working with later on Nightmare Before Christmas. Super friendly guy. You know, he would talk. He was building a Mighty Joe Young armature at the time, and he would talk to me. He would go in on the weekends just to do his own personal stuff. Uh -huh. Anyway, um, so 
so then uh, after about, I don't know, nine months, a year or something like that, I was, uh, I was there one, one evening and um, this guy, Cameron Noble, he was working there at the time. He was animating like a Dixie cut and moving it around. And he was using this system. It was like, like a videotape system to capture the frames. I said, what are you doing? I used to do this stuff, you know, when I was a kid. And he says, oh, I'm, tr I'm, uh, I'm doing some animation because they're starting a new Gumby project in Sausalito, which is a town, you know, just a few miles south. And uh, I said, oh, yeah, I used to do this stuff when I was a kid. I have a whole tape. I have a whole reel of stuff. He says, oh, yeah, let me, I'll take a look at it. So he, I gave it to him. He looked at it. He sent it, gave it back a little bit later and said, you should totally send that in. This is what they're looking for. So I no. sent the, the, I sent a VHS tape with my crappy little films I made when I was a kid with my college stuff. And uh, it was way too long, 15 minutes or something like that. Um, two months later, I got a call and they hired me as an animator on the Gumby series. This is... <laughs> like July, 1987. So that was my big break. That is a big, that's huge. That's such an interesting story. You got your in as a, it sounds like a movie. Like you get your in as a janitor, one night, late at night, you're sweeping the halls and you know, just coincidence B, you get to show your demo reel and then snap your animator on Gumby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's a way in, you know, you can, there are many ways you can get an internship whatever. There was nothing like that for me at the time. I didn't, I wasn't even sure how to get in. It was really frustrating for a few years, but you know, I read a, a quote from George Lucas at some point in, in a book that he wrote skywalking. Uh, he just said, find ways to do what you want to do. Just find ways to do just. So during that time, during that four years that I was trying to get into the business, like I said, I, I quit my full-time jobs and just worked part-time. So I could focus on creating animation, working on special effects, makeup, having that time, being available in case there was an opportunity. I wasn't yeah. tied up with a full-time job. And one time I went down to LA and tried to get into a, um, a studio. I tried casting up foam and that was part of my audition, basically. I had to cast some foam latex. It was really hot and it like gelled really badly. Anyway, I didn't get the job, um, but I was available to do that. Um, this is the kind of stuff I was doing in my studio. I was running foam all the time and it was no problem, but, um, it's pretty tricky to run in, in different temperatures. Um, what else happened? Um, I volunteered to animate projects for people at the local college. So I got involved with that and I did like title sequences for people for their sh student films. So I just found ways to do what I wanted to do. Animation, sculpture, um, creatures, zombies, I was working on a zombie project. So I was just, I wasn't wasting time. Uh, but the Sounds thing like is about keeping your options open too. I was keeping, yeah, cause I wasn't sure exactly what I was gonna do. I liked all of that stuff. I was really, like, like I said, I was following Rick Baker's career. That was another, you know, path I could have chosen, but Art Clokey hired me for Gumby. And actually that was, I mean, I was very happy because stop motion was my first thing that I was interested in. So then I focused on just animating and specialized in that. I was just going to ask when you found out you were on Gumby, was that it for you? You're like, this is, I've, I've got, this is the in, now I'm in, this is what I want to do now. Cause you ended up just doing stop motion for the rest of your career, right? 
Pretty much, pretty much. Um, I would say for me, Gumby was like animation school and it's where I met so many people and some of the people I still work with occasionally. Um, so we were all, you know, Gumby was set up where you had to shoot eight seconds a day. You, you loaded your own camera. You'd go in, you'd have a storyboard, you'd look at it and go, okay, this is what they want. And you just shoot the animation and it would be in the show. There was no direction really other than the storyboard. Um, we didn't have frame grabbers. Oh yeah, I wanted to make sure I talk about this, the history of frame grabbers. Tell when me. I, <laughs> yeah, when, when I started there were You've seen no, it all. Yeah, there were no frame grabbers. You had a surface gauge and it, if anybody doesn't know what that is, it's a, a, a machinist tool. And basically it's like a little um, rod with a hook. I don't have one here, but I still use them because I work. Um, and that tells you where your character is in physical space. So you use it to mark where the character is. You move your puppet, you know it moved that far because you have a gauge on it and you pull the gauge out and then you take a frame. I always saw like photos of Ray Harryhausen working with um, this thing and you'd see it in magazines. You're like, what is that thing? Anyway, that's how we animated on Gumby because there was no way to play back your animation. There was no way to compare your frames. You just set up your gauge, move your puppet, pull it out, take the frame. So would you ever have to redo shots then? Would the director come back and say, no, it was all straight for, straight ahead and just whatever happened, happened? Because Gumby's animation is really good. Like I remember watching it back in the day myself. <laughs> I know it's, um, I mean, I think it's good for this. We had to work pretty fast. Um, it's, um, and you got better as time went on. You know, and you would always look at other people's work. I mean, I had Eric Layton working there. We all kind of started together. Um, and I, I always looked, really liked his uh, style and he was super talented. So, um, but we were all, we all had to work without grabbers. And so we would compare our work and try to learn from each other. Um, so I was, I was on that show for a year. And uh, during that time I met Henry Selleck. He was looking for some animators to work on an MTV spot. He and just was, came by the studio one day and was like, hey, guys. He knew yeah. somebody in the art department, and they referred uh, him to me, Tim Hiddle, and Eric Layton. We worked, all three of us worked on this spot for MTV called Dollhouse. It was a very short 10-second deal. And we would work on it at night. We'd work at Gumby during the day, and then at night we'd go and animate a little bit. And we spent a week doing that. And... We shot the whole thing in a week nice. uh, in our spare time from working full time. And that was my first job with Henry. So that all that happened in the first year of my career. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. So he <laughs> did he ask you to work on Nightmare Before Christmas then? Or was that the yeah. what was the next thing that you went to? Yeah, so this is nineteen eighty eight. And uh, a few months later, after doing the first MTV, he asked me to work on another MTV spot later that year in August. And so I did that. And that's the compartment end spot where the end spinning around, the dog pops out at the end and barks. And um, after that, I did a few cutout uh, animations with him at Colossal Pictures in San Francisco. And then he had, uh, they were gonna revitalize the Pillsbury Doughboy uh, and make him more um, energetic and get him off that table, you know, jumping around and dancing around and stuff like that. 
So Henry had this new campaign. So I was part of that as well. Uh, there were a number of other animators from Gumby that worked on that, um, as well as you know artists and camera people. Um, and that was a lot of fun. I thought at that point, like, okay, this is it. This is the peak of, you know, I'm working with the Pillsbury Doughboy here. <laughs> you hit the top. Yeah, yeah. Star Wars is an afterthought now. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so, yeah, but feature films, I didn't even think that was possible because nobody was making a full feature film, stop motion yeah. feature film. So, yeah, when I was contacted in 92, I can't remember, 91, 90, 91, about Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, yeah, after a little bit of back and forth, and I got the script finally, and I read it, and I was like, yeah, I'm in, so. Can you, that? well, I have so many questions for you, and I'm wondering, can you just share, because you're one of the few people that worked on Nightmare Before Christmas, which is such like a huge pop culture phenomenon, like, can you share some behind the scenes stories that not everybody knows, or like, what was it like working on the Nightmare Before Christmas? <laughs> um, well, we were all super excited, because a lot of it, for a lot of us, it was our first feature. And there were a lot of Gumby people on the show. We had some people from ILM on the show. So it was kind of a merger of the two. Mm. And um, Tom Sandman Tom Sandman was on the show, for instance. And um, it was, um, so this is 1992 to till about summer of 93. So I think I was on the movie almost two years. Um, we were in San Francisco. And uh, let's see what else. Um, we started with uh, What's This? But I, I wasn't there until the tail end of that film, or the, uh, that song. Um, I did one shot for What's This? So they started with Christmas Town. Yeah. And, and then we started working on Halloween Town. Um, let me think of some stories. Um, when I read the script, you... I... Oh, okay. I was gonna say, who did you animate? Like, what characters did you animate? Uh, I, I did, um, early on, I did some shots with Jack and then I was a little rusty and I wasn't to the level that other people were with Jack at the time when I first started. So then I went and worked with elves in Christmas town <laughs> until I warmed up a bit, but I was really drawn to the, um, poor Jack sequence when, after he gets shot down and he crashes into the graveyard and he sings. Uh, how, what a mistake he's made and all that kind of stuff. His Santa Claus suit is all ripped. So I was really drawn to that sequence and I asked to do it. So they thought about it and eventually they gave it to me after I got a few more Jack Skellington shots under my belt. Um, like back in that day, we didn't have time to like test any, any shots beforehand. Like now we try to ramp animators into the show when they first start, give them a puppet let them learn, uh, test the walk, you know, acting shots, things like that. Nightmare, they just said, here you go, here's your shot, shoot it three times. You know, that was oh, wow. So they, shoot it three times and they pick the best one type of thing? Yeah, well, the first shot I did was just Jack looking through a window. And uh, um, I did a few more after that. Um, but the other thing is we didn't have, our frame grabbers only took two frames. And those were the good ones. We had frame grabbers that only took one frame. So oh, wow. when I first started, I was using a grabber that only took one frame. You had live and you had one grab frame. It kept overwriting. 
So you basically saw your last frame. You just kind of flip between the two. Oh, it looks good. And you're like drawing on your monitor. You're using your surface gauge. Oh my um, gosh. Eventually, I got a, a, a nicer grabber, that, two frames, <laughs> which is the that's the best we got in Nightmare. We there was no ability to play back your shot. So some of these shots were really long. Once I you know I was on the show a long long time. So once I got into the poor Jack sequence. Um, those shots were long. They were 20 seconds, 30 seconds. Um, and it would take me two weeks to shoot those. So you're animating straight ahead with your grabber. It's constantly overriding your frames. And then you, um, you can't see it until they send it to the lab. You come back in the morning. Everyone ends up in dailies. They project. Oh Everyone's looking at it for the first time. And you... Um, Either it's a success or it's a reshoot. So yeah. the first three months of Nightmare, yeah, my stomach was pretty knotted up. Um, Sounds also kind of physically draining to work so long on shots week in and week out, not knowing what's going on, and yeah, can't you can't really see what you're doing. You have to take really good notes. Um, you know, if something goes wrong, if the puppet breaks. <laughs> In the middle of a shot, Goodbye. <laughs> it, it happened like the shoulder broke on the armature once and they had to go in and I took all these Polaroids. So I had some reference and then I had, of course, the last couple of frames grabbed, but they went in surgically, re, uh, fixed it, stitched them up and I just kept going with the shot. So things and like that would happen um, and you can't tell in the film. You can you just keep going. You kind of get used to working that way, though. It sounds crazy, and I don't want to go back to that, but you get used to it. After, like I said, after three months, I was kind of used to this kind of pace and um, working this way. And I just, you just kind of took each shot as it, you know, as you got it, as you received it, focused, and just shot a few tests with it. And um, and when I say test, I mean like. You basically shoot the test, like uh, you block it out, pop, 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 you know, with the puppets moving around, maybe the camera's moving around too, but they need to check the lighting ahead, ahead of time. They need to know my time, basic timings. Yeah. And then you shoot the real shot after that. So how many animators were on the production of The Nightmare Before Christmas in total? Was it, was it a small team or were there like 50, 100 animators? Uh, no. There, it was a small team. There were, um, like when I started, I think Trey Thomas, Eric Layton, Mike Belzer, Tim Hiddle, these guys were already on the show. Um, there might have been a few more. Angie and Owen were there. These are all Gumby people. So like a dozen? I think we got up to 20. Okay. But you have to, but we don't start with 20. You ramp up. Right. Because when they start these shows, they're still building puppets and building sets. And like Oogie Boogie didn't show up for the first year. Like there was no Oogie Boogie puppet. So they're they're sculpting and building things as we go and duplicating puppets as well. So there's several Jack puppets, several Sally puppets. And that enables them to hire more animators. So that's all factored into the schedule. Every show's like that. Hmm. Interesting. So why would somebody be brought on at the start? Are they like the head animator or like? Yeah, Eric was the animation supervisor on Nightmare. And I don't know, it could have been availability. It could have been other reasons. I'm not sure who decides when someone starts. 
I kept I kept telling them no for the first eight months. <laughs> Why? Was it just because? <laughs> well, there are a lot of reasons, but the main reason was I wanted to read a script. There was no script at first. And when they finally got me the script, this is like eight months later, I read it. I was like, oh, yeah, I like it. <laughs> Fair enough. So they're just like, hey, we have this kind of thing going on. Do you want to join us? And you're yeah. like, is it a real thing or not? <laughs> not that it's not real. I knew it was. I just want to make sure I like the story. Uh, okay. So is that something that you've taken forward with you in your career that you have to like what it is before you say yes? Yeah. yeah. So that's that's interesting because you went from being like super eager, making all your options open, taking whatever you can on your first production to then yeah. immediately saying, I have I have pretty stark limits, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think it's good to have some enthusiasm for the project. And it's like if I read something and I get sort of a spark or I feel inspired, I feel drawn to that project. And I just think that's a, a very positive thing. And yeah. I know you can't always have that. And I haven't always had that. But I like, I like, I like to know. And also, I like to know if there's something I'm drawn to. So I asked to do that sequence, for instance. That was actually when I read that in the script, I thought, wow, this, this really makes this movie really more appealing to me. So yeah. I explained that to them later on once I was working on the show and, and Henry and Eric decided to give me the sequence. And that was a six month sequence for, I think, I don't know how many minutes it is, three minutes, two oh, minutes. Wow. Oh my goodness. So were you feeling pretty, I guess, established at this point? like? You'd, you'd kind of gone through the ringer of trying to find a job in LA. Then you worked on Gumby and the Nightmare Before Christmas. Were you like, okay, now I feel pretty comfortable about where this is heading for me? Uh, hmm. <laughs> as far as established, I think for me, that means if people start calling you, then you're pretty well established. Like if they call you to work on a job, instead of you applying for a job. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I actually felt that pretty early on. After Gumby, I started getting calls and I never really had to, not always, there's been a couple of times where I've pursued things um, or, you know, just put myself out there, um, introducing myself to people saying, hey, I'd really like to work with you someday, that kind of thing. Yeah. But as far as like applying for a job, I haven't really done that too often. Um, so I feel like I got established that first year. That first year I met Art Clokey, Henry Selick, and I've been working with Henry for over 30 years now on different things on and off. Nice. So, um, and I'm sorry, what was the other part of your question? I was just, I, it was just if you felt established, but I'm wondering, maybe you can kind of go through some career highlights and lowlights if you have them too, just now that we're talking about this. And maybe you can start with one of my favorite shows that uh, I don't think many people really know about, but Bump in the Night, mm. <laughs> the stop motion, green, two-eyed, gross thing that lives in a toilet. <laughs> yeah, so you never know what's going to come up and... Yeah. and and I think this was the other part of your question was that I, it's not like a regular job where you're just kind of working at one place all the time. I, you have to be the first 15 years or so. I was getting all my work in the San Francisco Bay Area for the most part. 
I never, I think there was one job in LA that I went down and did a short project for six weeks, did some cutout animation. Um, but everything else was in the Bay Area up until about 2003. So wow. 1987 to 2003. So um, Bump in the Night came together right after Nightmare Before Christmas. So I jumped onto that. Uh, David Ichioka and Ken Pontak were running that show. They were the directors, and th I worked with them on Gumby. So it just kind of shows you there's, you just start to know, get to know people in the business, and you start working with a lot of the same people. And when they have a project, they're like, hey, are you available? <laughs> so, and if they like working with you, that's the other thing. Yeah, I think um, a big part of it is being able to work with a crew, being able to yeah. work, be directed as well. Um, so Bump in the Night, uh, was a show about little monsters under the bed and they would, um, and toys, they would all come to life. And uh, I think originally there were some live action or they thought maybe it's it kind of like Toy Story in a way, you know? Yeah, I guess so. But it, like a gross, deranged <laughs> Toy Story. <laughs> it was before Toy Story though. Oh yeah, for sure. I spent eight months, the first eight months of the show, it went for a couple seasons. I worked on season one. So it was really fun for me because I could just go in. It was similar to Gumby where you can just go in and shoot your animation. And for the most part, it would be in the show. Um, you had storyboards. Now, here's the thing. They had a, they had a frame grabbing system there. And it was the first time I was ever able to grab every frame and play it back. So, oh, wow. No limit. Yeah, that was developed by Alex Hansen. He developed it for the show. And... Um, that was a huge deal. That was that was huge. Um, so after that, I never went back to those other grabbers. Um, how big of a team were you? Sorry, I'm just curious. How big of a team was Bump in the Night? Because because like, it it's not the hugest show, and it only ran for a few seasons. So I'm just wondering, like, what was the production behind it like? I wish I could remember exactly, but it seemed it it felt very similar. Maybe about twenty animators. Oh, wow. That's more than I would expect. Maybe. A lot of us. From <laughs> yeah. I know Mike Johnson worked on it. Uh, Stephen Buckley. There were some of us that worked on it. Some went in other directions. Because um, right around that time, computer animation was, you know, starting up. Not really. Actually, it was before that. Pixar was doing some commercials. But they were also starting to work on Toy Story. Um, I had a few friends that worked on that after Bump in the Night. Um, so yeah, right around that time is when, like, like at the end, like Jurassic Park came out the same year Nightmare Before Christmas came out. So that kind of gives you an idea what was going on in the business. So, but it was, it was cool that there was a stop motion TV show. This is for Saturday morning for kids. And, um, yeah, it was really, you know, cartoony, eyes would bug out of characters, very Looney Tunes. So you could really just go for it, you know? It wasn't supposed to be elegant like Jack Skellington dancing around like Fred Astaire. It was more like, you know, Bugs Bunny and, you know, Daffy Duck, that kind of thing. So it was a lot of fun for me just to switch gears and just do something really funny. So after that, you also worked on James and the Giant Peach. You worked on Corpse Bride. You've worked on like basically every, a, a big majority of the feature films of stop motion, did things kind of get easier for you as technology advanced and like, you know, you're, you're part of the like stop motion crowd at this point, you know, everybody. Yeah. Um, 
like you said, you were rusty on on um, Nightmare Before Christmas at the start. But when you started on James and the Giant Peach, was it a different story? Yeah, yeah, I was all warmed up. Yeah, Night- Nightmare I'd taken off uh, I, like two years. I hadn't animated in two years. And um, I was doing some other things. But um, yeah, definitely, I was totally warmed up. <laughs> After Nightmare um, and uh, Bump in the Night, jumped into, I think I jumped into James. I also did a project called Funhouse Express that I'm just going to throw out there because it was um it was a ride film an imax ride film and those that was shot at 48 frames per second and that was crazy but it was cool but i don't recommend shooting at 48 frames <laughs> is it in stop motion uh-huh. oh wow i i i don't think i've seen it but i just looked it up on youtube and i can see a preview it looks pretty <laughs> smooth <laughs> it's crazy and it's just you know it's like you sit in a little vehicle that moves around and and the animation is projected on a screen that's sort of like a horseshoe shape. Uh, and it's supposed to be feel interactive. Like you feel like you're falling, you feel like you're lurching and stopping. And I, it, it took me years for me to actually find this thing. I finally found it in um, Luxor in La- Las Vegas and I wrote it. It was really good. Nice. Yeah. So that <laughs> you got happened around the same. It from both ends. Yeah. So I think that happened just before Peach. Gosh. And then I worked on Peach for a year. And uh, that was a great experience. Got to work with the spider and um, some what of the was other. The, what was the peach stuff made out of? Because when they're in that scene, when they're like eating it and it's really gooey and it looks wet, what is that stuff? Uh, I didn't do any of those shots, but I think that was like wax and clay and glycerin. And huh. you have to, yeah, they had to keep it looking wet. Um, and then the peach top was like a fiberglass shell with some foam. And I think felt or something on top of it to kind of give it a fuzzy appearance. Nice. What, are you constant? So you like animated the spider. You've animated like Fred Astaire, Dance Moves. You've animated like all these wacky things. Are you constantly looking for references to figure out how things move? Or do you just kind of make it up with some direction from like the director? Like when you're animating the spider in James and the Giant Peach, are you like how do you how do you foresee that before you even start to do the animation? Yeah, the spider was a different thing. Um, she had to be walking on a web, so you had to develop a walk that um, could work on a spider web. And she had little clamps on her feet. Um, I mean, I didn't shoot reference for her, but we did shoot reference for like the ladybug dancing with James. They hired dancers to dance to the actual music by Randy Newman. And like little dance moves, <laughs> and I just matched it. I just looked at frame by frame on a oh, wow. VHS at the time. Now you just load it up in Dragon Frame and as a layer, and you can like see you know frame by frame as you're shooting. Um, and we use reference a lot more now than we did back in the day. Nightmare, you know, I shot the whole poor Jack sequence in on VHS tape, just me sort of sitting in a chair trying to pretend to be Jack Skellington and I showed it to Henry and that's as far as that went. It was just to kind of throw out some ideas like, oh, you could do this now, you can do that now. And, you know, um, and I'm like miming the, the music, but I didn't use it uh, for animation at the time. So the first time I think I ever used reference was probably James with that ladybug dancing scene. Is that like a common thing for you to use now? It seems to be more and more the case, yeah. Yeah, they started doing it at Leica. Um, 
a little bit on, on Coraline, but it's pretty much the standard now. And I know Hardman's been doing it. Yeah. So what's something, I guess, because you've had so much experience on these big monster films and like TV shows and stuff. What's something that not a lot of maybe even stop motion animators get to experience that you've got to experience um, through the years? And maybe it's just that struggle with technology. But is there like a certain skill that you've learned that you see other people don't have such a strong one because you've had, I don't know, experience on all these films? Let's see. Uh think um well i'm gonna go back to surface gauges because i still find them useful i still use them yeah to... no, I don't, i've never heard of somebody using them now so that's pretty yeah. cool yeah there are some animators there are a lot of them that still use them and there are some that don't like to make a puppet walk towards the camera i wouldn't even i wouldn't even want to animate a shot without a surface gauge because you just can't tell depth just by looking at a frame grabber but sometimes you don't need to. It's it's it all depends on what you're trying to do. If you're trying to do really slow, elegant stuff, I definitely use a gauge, nice. um, especially for walking shots. Uh, <laughs> I'm I've never used a gauge, but I I think maybe I will start using one. <laughs> Is there? I'm I'm one, I'm curious about your career too. You mentioned uh, to me before that you went from animating on these movies to kind of a supervising role. Is there a reason you stopped animating and started to be like an animation supervisor, like on Coraline and Corpse Bride? Yeah, well, um, there was a show called uh, Phantom Investigators. It was for Warner Brothers with a kid's show. And it didn't get much airplay when it came out. But I was one of the animation directors on the show. So I had sort of a taste of it then. Um, and I got a call one day, this was probably see, 2002. I got a call, uh, from, um, Mike Johnson and he asked me if I was interested in working on Corpse Bride as the, uh, animation supervisor. I said, yeah. So that was a year before I actually moved to London, but, um, that's how I got my start supervising. And I was just up for it. And, um, so that was my first big, uh, supervising type role because at the other job when I was an animation director I was just kind of like I had a very small crew like six animators and I worked with the director and I just kind of get things ready this is totally different supervising yeah. a feature film I had more animators it was more complicated so are you actually doing any animation when you're supervising I actually did some shots on Corpse Ride I did a lot of testing because I would go in first early on uh, before the animators were there. Actually, when I showed up in London, Phil Dale was there. He was shooting a few tests. So Phil and I were working together in the beginning. Oh, nice. So why did you, why, did you miss animating? Is there a reason that you kind of went back to the, the roots of where you started? Yeah, so I did Corpse Bride. That was almost two years in London. Then I came back to the States and uh, probably it was less than a year. I had come back to California, started talking to Henry about Coraline, which is a script I had read before I even went to London. I really liked it. You just it. call up Henry every once in a while and it's like, hey. <laughs> I can't remember how we got in touch. Um, but yeah, so I agreed to work on the film and moved to Portland. And, and uh, you know, we started at the old Vinton building in Northwest Portland. And then we found the building that is now Leica and uh, started, you know, started putting things together. 
and um, how to build stages and, you know, I started early, even before we had puppets or anything. We oh. we had to uh, figure out the scale, and uh, but that, I had, that movie's you know, huge in scale, like the outdoor yeah. scenes and everything. That's pretty cool. Yeah. But like the scale of the size of the puppet and everything. When I started on Corpse Bride, a lot of stuff had already been decided, like the scale of everything. Um, but yeah, I learned a lot on Corpse Bride that I applied to Coraline. And Coraline, mm -hmm. I was on that for two and a half years. So um, I wasn't able to animate as much on Coraline. I was just so busy with uh, animators and Henry and other department heads. It's a lot of fun to do, to do uh, breakdown meetings where you figure out how every shot's gonna be done. You, you uh, chime in with all the other leads from different departments. Um, I enjoy all that stuff. I enjoy looking at the schedule and figuring out how are we gonna shoot things, who's gonna animate it, all that kind of stuff. But you do start, at least I do, I start to miss animating. And then you start wondering, can I animate still? <laughs> <laughs> can I animate as good as the animators that I'm, you know, on the show? Can I, can I animate as, as, as well as they can now? And so um, I decided on the next project I was just going to animate. I didn't want to say uh. And it was more of a personal thing. I just wanted to see if I could do it, prove it to myself. So what was the next project for you? That was Paranorman, another film by Leica. Yeah. And I worked on that for, I guess, a year. Yeah. Can't remember. A little over a year. So yeah, you... I was pretty happy with my animation. I, I've, but it was a mystery. I wasn't sure, you know. Yeah. You, you also mentioned to me before that um, The Little Prince was a big highlight for you. Uh, personally and animation-wise, why was that specifically? Okay, well, Little Prince is huge. It's a huge uh, project in my life um, um, for a couple of reasons. That book was always around when I was a kid. I think my parents bought it, and I didn't understand the story, but I really loved the illustrations, you know, these characters living on their own planets. It was I just was really drawn to it. So um, I um, I got the call from Jamie Kaliri, and he asked me if I wanted to work on the film. There's a train coming, by the way. <laughs> a little heads up. That's fine. Thanks for the warning. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had worked with Jamie on a couple of projects. Um, uh, oh, I met Jamie on the... Uh, tail end of Coraline and I ended up working with him on some some small projects in between Coraline and Paranorman. So I already knew Jamie. So uh, he contacted me and asked me if I'd be willing to move to Montreal. At first we were going to go to Berlin and uh, then it got switched to Montreal. Anyway, a lot can happen within a year. Because <laughs> they started making the movie in Paris with Mark Osborne directing they were developing the story and the storyboards and everything. Um, by the time I started, they had a lot of that done. We moved to Montreal. We set up shop in this little building downtown. Um, it wasn't our shooting studio yet. We didn't have it. So it took us some time to find that building. But we had three months in this small space where we could test things. I could start to shoot very simple tests. We didn't even have real puppets yet. But kind of figure out how the scarf moved. Everything was paper paper scarf, paper costumes, the puppets, um, the sets, 
uh, had to look like paper. That was sort of the look. And uh, yeah. I think it worked really well. We shot in two, so the animation's a little rough, but I think it works really well with the, that style. Um, yeah, that was special. And to live in Montreal was special. Uh, nice. You know, working on a, you know, a book that was uh, by a French author in Montreal, which is you know, predominantly French and um, language is spoken there. And um, with, the, with the new crew, this very a small crew, we had maybe only six animators, seven animators. Um, yeah, it was a really, it was a great experience. Yeah, well, that's actually, The Little Prince is uh, 2016, it came out. So have, what have you done since? Because that's pretty recent, I guess. Yeah, so after Little Prince, um, I had to come back to the States and I wasn't sure uh, where I was going to move because I didn't have a job. Usually I'm kind of, that dictates dictates where I'm going to live. Um, uh, but I started thinking about living by the ocean. For some reason, it was like a really strong uh, image in my head. So I went to Hawaii for a month. I did some training for a marathon. I ran a marathon in Hawaii. Hawaii is great, but it didn't seem like the place. Um, I kept thinking, no, I want to go back to California, live somewhere along the ocean. So I went to um, the Central Coast, where I had lived for a year working on a uh, Davy and Goliath project with the Cloakie. Cloakie's in 2002, 2003, before I went to London. Um, I thought, well, I'll give it a year. I'm just going to take a year off from work and just hang out by the ocean. <laughs> I had no plan. I had no plan, but it, I had this strong urge to do that. Um, now, I also had friends there who, you know, the Cloakies, Joe Cloakie, our Cloakie's son lived nearby. So I was in touch with him and I would help him with little projects here and there, but we weren't working full time together. Uh, we were trying to get a feature film or a TV series. So I would help them whenever they needed help. But uh, yeah, I just gave it a year and I ended up staying there four and a half years. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty incredible. Did you kind of, did you like learn something about yourself in that time or was it just kind of like, uh, I'm going to take some chill time for me? Because yeah, now, you, now you're back, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't know where it was going to lead. I just thought, yeah, yeah give, take some time off. Life is short. Um, and I was thinking at the time, like, okay, if you only had two years left to live, what would you do? What would I do? And I think that's a good thing to ask yourself every once in a while, because, you know, we're not here forever. You never know what's going to happen. And is there something that you still need to do that, that you should do before you're too old to do it? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I went there. I basically really quick, what happened was, uh, I took a lesson. I saw someone on a stand-up paddleboard with a dog one day. I thought, I want to learn how to do that. I took a lesson <laughs> with someone who happened to be one of my neighbors, and she had a business uh, renting boards, giving lessons. So I started working with her eventually because I really liked the stand-up thing. And we would paddle out in the bay, Morro Bay. And eventually, I became a certified instructor. I would take people out, give them lessons. Uh, is, that, is that shirt you're wearing right now from... There, it says this, surfing on it. This is a board. This is a brand of a board I like, Infinity ah. Paddleboards. I, in fact, that photo is taken in Cayucas, and that's my dog on the beach. I oh no way! You took that photo. That's that's yeah. really beautiful shot. 
<laughs> I adopted a dog during the second year there. It was exactly a year after I had been there on Valentine's Day weekend. I went to the uh, shelter and I adopted a dog and I taught him how to ride the paddleboard. And uh, I would take him to the beach in the morning. I mean, it was a really, it was like living in a, in a dream. It was really great. Um, and uh, so I, I did that for a while. And then I got into racing paddleboards and I was in like four races last year. So I have a race board and I have, and I learned how to surf. I'd never, I'm from Michigan. <laughs> I learned how to paddle surf right at the tail end of my, my stay there. So I'm not great by any means. I need to get back out there and, and, and uh, continue that because it's a lot of fun to catch a wave. Nice. Um, but uh, at the same time, I did take small jobs. I'd go to LA. I would work on, I worked on Tumble Leaf for uh, a week just to fill in while they needed somebody. Just a week. <laughs> yeah. I worked, what, what can um, you accomplish in a week? I feel like I did, I did time a time <laughs> just get started on something. I did a couple shots and uh, I worked on a music video for three or three weeks. And then I wait, wait. So, so you're MIA on a paddleboard in the ocean. How do you get a call from somebody to come and work on Tumbleweed for a week? Are people like constantly bombarding your inbox or something? Like, yeah, no one. I never call about work. People either email me or they send me a message. Yeah. I have a website, so people contact me, or they just they contact me through Facebook Messenger. Um, so yeah, yeah, I've done I've done a few jobs, um, the, a music video, a project with Thomas Demand, who's a German artist who does a lot of work with paper. Did some animation for him, and that was in a museum. So it wasn't even a it wasn't a commercial or anything like that. It was a completely different, cool project to work on. Something completely different, which. At this point in my life, I'm really drawn to experimental, the use of other materials, not just, you know, the, the standard foam latex, silicone yeah. puppet, you know, working with paper, working with whatever, you know, down shooter. I did a title sequence for Animation Outlaws. It's a, a documentary about the Spike and Mike animation festivals. I did the title sequence for that in my living room and uh, on a makeshift, like, you know, down shooter. And then I did the rest of After Effects. Um, I went to Denmark and taught uh, at the school there for a couple of weeks. I mean, I did it. I kind of kept my foot in the, you know, in the business just enough. Gotcha. So I knew I wasn't like retired or anything like that. So you, you I, knew in the back of your mind you were coming back at some point. I didn't know. No. I didn't know. So then why would you keep your ties, I guess? Just just for the sake of. Well, I already have, you know, friendships and connections. Yeah. And so when contacts me, I, I think, okay, if this looks like fun. I'll go do this now. <laughs> well, one thing that you've kind of mentioned consistently throughout your sharing your stories is there's like a, it's about who you know, your friends, et cetera. It, like there's a core, it seems like there's a core group of stop motion animators who've kind of been, and directors and whatnot that have kind of been through it all from the start. Um, as somebody who's kind of new to the scene and not uh, you know, working professionally on these projects, how, what is my best path in? Is it, is it to like, just keep my options open and hope that something, you know, I get to be a janitor at Leica, <laughs> for instance, like, what would you recommend? How do I get in that in group? Um, okay. There's, there's so many different ways and there's, yeah. no, there's no one way I'd say being, moving to where the projects are 
there was no way I would have known about Gumby if I was still in Michigan waiting for, right? you know, how would I even know? There's no ad. There's no, well, I think there was an ad for Gumby, actually. Someone told me. I never saw it. Um, because but would, some, you move, would you move from Michigan for an ad, though? You know, like, would you drive down maybe for an interview or? I know. Yeah, that's a big deal. Yeah. Um, I mean, they hired me. They looked at my reel and they hired me. I went in and spoke to Art Clokey and said, you're hired. I mean, he asked me a few questions, but that was it. It wasn't, there was no test. There was no nothing. I was hired. So um, I don't know. I think, you know, it, it's definitely beneficial to be uh, in the area, but you don't have to be. I mean, you can, the other, the other thing that's very important is always have a reel or a portfolio. So figure out first what you specialize in. There are yeah. people that do everything like, oh, I love to make puppets, but I like to animate. And I like to camera. I want to be a director. You got to pick one thing if you're going to work on one of these shows and focus on it. And if you're if you like two things, well, maybe you need a reel and, you know, with your animation on it, maybe you need a portfolio with your puppets in it and send it to each department. If you're still trying to break in, you're still trying. Like I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. Was I going to do uh, special effects makeup? I was really passionate about it. Or was I going to do stop motion? I was very passionate about that as well, but it didn't look like there was any work, you know? Right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, definitely have an example of your best work and have a very concise reel. Put your best stuff right in the beginning. I've looked at so many reels. I worked at Pixar for a while as a directing animator on Toy Story 2, and it. I went through so many reels, and after a while, they all kind of looked the same. Yeah, so how do you make yours stand out? You, Can you remember a reel that stood out from Toy Story 2 that you remember? That, like, oh, dang, this person, no? No, I, I mean, sometimes people will put their whole film on there, and that's just too much. Put <laughs> your best shots from your film. If you want to put your whole film at the end, fine. Or nowadays, everything's online, so you can have links to it. But yeah. you want to grab them right away. You want to grab them in the first minute. So put your very best shot first. And here's the other thing. As, as cool as it sounds or looks, don't put music over your animation, I think. Some people do. I think it, I think it ruins your reel. Yeah? Um, yeah, well, it depends what's on your reel. Like, I'm looking for, okay, what I'm looking for is um, I want to know someone can animate, they can act. I want to see what their lip sync, their dialogue looks like. So if music is covering up dialogue, that's no good. Um, uh, if you want to do a little montage in the middle or something like that, that's fine. But what you need is you need to show that you know, um, you, you put you know, physicality in your puppets. They can run, they can walk, they can jump, and there's weight to it. If that's the show, like Leica, that's their style. They want to see that kind of thing in the reel. Um, if something's more cartoony, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a whole different thing. You might need a, a separate reel for that. But it doesn't matter. If they know you can animate, and you put that in the beginning, you will grab their attention right away. Gotcha. I don't know what else to say about, you know, moving there is, is good, but not, necess not necessary because I've definitely moved since then, um, taking a job in London, in Montreal. And is there a way to contact people? Like, say I'm fresh, I don't know anybody, I send in my reel to like, yeah. like our stupid buddies or something. How do I 
other than somebody kind of sitting at a computer and like clicking next, oh, my reel comes up next, the next reel comes up. Like, how do I get in? How do I get to know people in stop motion? How this do I? Hard, this is the hardest part. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you start a podcast where you interview people like Anthony Scott. <laughs> That's a way. Hey, everyone has their own way. I think um, getting to know people is a good way. Um, and nowadays it's easy with the internet. You can definitely make connections. Um, uh, internships, some studios offer internships. That's another way. Um, that wasn't available to me at the time, but um, but I've seen it since. Like, like I had some, I don't know about other studios. Uh, that's a way to get your foot in the door. And that's always the big thing. How do I get in? How do I get my big break? Um, I will say this. If I hadn't taken that job at, as a janitor, I probably wouldn't have found out about the Gumby job. That's for sure. So I would say, say yes, even when you don't feel like, oh, this isn't what I want to do. I want to direct. You might want to, you know, curb that for a bit and and think about, okay, well, maybe this will lead to something. I don't know. Because that's, that's how it worked for me anyway. Nice. Um, it, it all depends what you want to do. So, so how does it how does it feel now that you've kind of looked back at your career from start to finish through this chat? How does it feel to have worked on all these films and be a stop motion animator? And because you also said you were interested in special effects makeup, and it I I I'm assuming you haven't done too much of that in your career professionally. Not. No. So are you living are you living the dream? <laughs> um, living the dream. I think so. I think so. Yeah. I'm, I've enjoyed this ride so far and still going. So I'm always learning. I've gotten to meet so many cool people and work with cool people and be creative. I mean, when I was a kid, I was told, oh, you need something to fall back on right. just in case. And I always thought that was bad advice because I need to put all my energy into what I want to do. And, you know, I've gotten to meet my heroes. I met Phil Tippett at a party once. I told him, I'm going to work with you someday. <laughs> he said, be careful what you wish for, kid. And this was before I got into the film business. I was I was at a Lucasfilm party, and uh, because I'd worked as a janitor, somehow I got into this. Anyway, I walked right up to him, shook his hand, I'm gonna work with you someday. <laughs> and uh, years later, I did work with him on at his shop. I did some CG work with him on uh, on oh, Evolution, that film. Oh, nice. Yeah, I've met Ray Harryhausen, you know, a couple of times. Yeah. He came by the studio on uh, Corpse Bride and had tea with the entire crew and got a tour tour and I got to talk to him and that was that was a big deal. Nice, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, sounds phenomenal. Uh, I have kind of one. It's kind of like unrelated to all this, I guess. Question, but it's about stopmotionanimation.com, which you started and which is like the be-all and end-all stop-motion animation forum for many, many years, like something like tw 20 years or something like that. Yeah, like ridiculous. Cool. Like it's where I, as a kid, when I was making these dumb little claymation things, found a community to connect with because I didn't know anybody like in my city or anybody I knew who was into stop-motion. So it was like this really cool place with all these like famous animators who'd worked on all these cool things, <laughs> like talking to you all the time is great. Tell me about why you started it in the first place. Okay, well, um, I had a friend who had a website called HalloweenTown.com and 
it was all about Nightmare Before Christmas. So, and I, I didn't know the guy. I met him from, you know, online. And um, so we'd talk. And I'd say, oh, your website's really cool. This is like 1998 or something like that. I was just getting into the internet. And I said, oh, this would be really cool to start a website for animators, a place for them to meet up, to share ideas, to post information like how to use a surface gauge, you know, things like that. <laughs> And um, so I started very small. He helped me kind of like, oh, it's easy. You can do this and do that and just get a website. I had no clue how to start a website. No, no idea. Um, so I started doing that and uh, got it going. And it's gone through different revisions. It started as just a message board, very simple. Then a slightly better message board. It kept breaking. <laughs> And now it's a whole, it looks kind of like Facebook or something. But um, uh, yeah, no, it's, um, I think it's, it's, I know it's definitely benefited the stop motion community. It's given people a place to meet, to exchange ideas, to help each other. Um, I've ended up working with a few people that have been on the, um, in the site, involved on the site. Um, but um, I've been running it for 21 years, and if there's anyone out there, as much fun as it's been, I am looking for someone to take over the site and take it to the next level. So contact me if you're interested. But um, <laughs> it, it's still going. It's still there. It's a little quiet sometimes, but yeah, it's still. Uh, I, I I don't have the heart to close it down. You know, I want nice. to keep it going. Yeah. Well, I think the biggest thing that I enjoyed doing on there was to watch the the like development of other people's short films. People would post like behind the scenes photos and then you could like add your feedback and they'd ask for like tips with materials and stuff. That that has been like really insightful for me over the years. And I, I, st I think I was on it yesterday just looking up because you have a list of all the stop motion studios in the world, I think, in a big list there. So I was just on it yesterday. So I, it's been really helpful for me and I'm, <laughs> I it's, it's where we first met, I guess, even though, I, uh, I don't know. It's just some dumb kid posting little animations. <laughs> I I you guys, <laughs> I always thought your films were really funny and like little voices and the funny voices you would do and the oh my character, the designs and everything. I thought your style really stood out, and uh, I was always impressed by it. Um, so I'm glad. You know, I think about you know when I was a kid, I didn't have anything like that. And I, and yeah, I, you're just I, shooting on your own camera. Like who is watching those? Your family, I guess, right? Um, yeah, but I had like you know, this, to teach me how to do it. Now, with the internet, it's a way to communicate. It's a way to communicate with somebody in another country. Like, hey, how do you do that thing? Oh, how do you animate water? You know, that's a big one. Um, you know, I, I, I'm really glad I was able to contribute to the community that way by creating the site. Nice, well, thank you from me and whoever else is listening and feeling grateful. <laughs> so, uh, we've talked about everything, I guess. What's next for you other than, you know, once this lockdown situation is over, you can get back to work, I guess. Yeah, I don't know uh, how much do you have a Do you have an exit plan for like a retirement plan? Or uh, are you just going to keep animating till the day you die? Uh, that's a really good question. That is, that is the question. It's the question. I'm not super prepared for that, but I, I really don't know. I really don't know what I'm going to end up doing. I, I'm, I'm kind of drawn to, I'm still drawn to the ocean. And I love collaborating with my friends on cool projects. So maybe those two worlds can, you know, 
coincide together somehow. I'm not sure. Um, but, you know, I would really love to do a, a Gumby feature and a Gumby or a Gumby TV series. Um, I'm still in touch with Cloaky Productions and uh, that, that's a possibility. But yeah, I, have, I was just thinking that doesn't sound too far fetched, especially with all these comebacks that have been happening lately. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, they they gave me my start. And so I always feel, um, you know, grateful for that. The big, you know, the big start, the big they took a chance on me. And so uh, it's been fun working with them over the years on little projects here and there. And we did a Davy and Goliath Christmas special, which was a lot of fun to do. Um, I did a few small Gumby projects, but it would be fun to recreate the Gumby studio again with with a whole new group of people. And uh, totally know, different ball game. Give, give, have, they'll have real frame grabbers like Dragon, Dragon, <laughs> Dragon Frame. Yes, <laughs> you're doing. <laughs> Dragon Frame is the software we would be using for sure. Um, but yeah, give people, um, you know, just out of school or people that are that have been wanting to be animators all their life. This is an opportunity to uh, to a job for them. That's that's where my heart is anyway. Yeah. Amazing. So maybe as, as like a final thing to wrap it all up, if, if somebody's listening and they are interested in pursuing something like stop motion or just something that they th see as very niche and they're working very hard at, I guess, what would you tell them given that you've you've been able to do this throughout your career and, and uh, see some success? Uh, what would I tell them? Beyond what I already said about the real... You said I know you already said a lot. I'm wondering why I'm even asking this. <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Um, I guess just be ready. Be ready um, at a moment's notice, <laughs> and whatever that means. It may mean driving across the country. It might mean having a reel to submit. Um, say yes to everything if you you know as long as it's reasonable. Um, Do you have any regrets about anything that you that happened? No, not at all. Oh, it's it's been a fun adventure. Like it's yeah. for me, it's cool not knowing. Some people, that's it's scary to not know. How, how are you gonna pay your rent, or how are you going to, you know, what's your next job? I, I should say. Um, and sometimes I don't know, but I I trust that something's going to materialize, and because it seems like my entire life, that's the way it's worked. So I have well, a sounds like you're a very hard worker, so <laughs> two are intertwined. Well, I have some good connections. Um, you know, I and I just have a, this strange belief that the universe is going to provide in some way. And you just have to put yourself out there and um, make nice. yourself available. I like that. Is, is there anything else you'd like to share to wrap things up? I'm just gonna say it's pretty exciting to see so many people still interested in stop motion. You know, when I was a kid, they were saying stop motion is dead. And it looked like it was dying, like it was gone. Like it was, it was being used for some effects stuff in the 70s, um, you know, Star Wars with the chess characters, um, Empire Strikes Back with the walkers. I was amazed with that stuff, but as far as like something like today with Leica and Hardman and other studios, Netflix, they've invested in stop motion quite a bit. Um, we got Pinocchio and Wendell and Wild happening yeah. right now up here. Um, it's amazing for me to see that. 
So uh, you guys are living in a really cool time for stop motion, whether you know it or not. It's, it's, uh, it, there's a lot of projects out there. And so if you really believe this is what you want to do with your life, go for it. Nice. I like that. It's a nice it's a nice way to wrap things up. Go for it. <laughs> well, well, thank you so much for coming on the chat, Anthony. It's been a real pleasure to hear your story from when you were a little kid making King Kong movies all the way to the most recent stuff you've been working on and everything in between. It's been really insightful for me because I've kind of watched your work on the sidelines my whole stop motion life. So <laughs> I'm really happy we got to chat. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much, Terry. I really like your podcast, by the way. Good job. Oh, thank you so much. I have a lot of stop motion people on, so <laughs> it's it's just going to be a stop motion podcast at some point. <laughs> I like that. Good luck with all your projects, man. Thanks. Thanks. Appreciate it. And uh, if you're listening and you'd like to get in touch with Anthony or check out his work, you can go to his Instagram, which is anthonyscott.animation, or his website, which is anthonyscott.net. I'm going to include both those links in the description of this chat. And that's all for now. So thank you so much for listening. And okay, bye. Bye.